Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Uh, seniors, we're not really talking much to you today. I think there may be a couple of questions in our Q&A that will relate to you, but mostly um, we're talking to those younger students and juniors. If you haven't started on your college process, there is no time like the present. Things are ramping up. You need to be doing some things over the summer, working on your college lists, working on your essays, all that good stuff. So we're going to have stuff coming up uh, in future uh, episodes of uh, or in future podcasts. So you're going to want to tune in. Um, and in our last segment today, we're going to be answering the questions that you have sent to us. But before we get to that, we're going to do a couple of segments on ROTC. And what I'm super excited about of this, well, I'm super excited for a couple of reasons. For the first reason is that we're actually going to hear from both the student and parent perspective. The second reason I'm really excited about this is because my own son has a real interest in ROTC. So I want to hear a little more about it um, from two people who have recently gone through it. And then my husband actually did ROTC when he was in college, and that was his entry point into the Army. So I have vested interest from that perspective. So super excited to welcome my colleague, um, Lori Peltier, who happens to be a former financial aid officer at Anna Maria and Becker Colleges, and her daughter, Abrielle, who recently graduated from the University of San Francisco and did ROTC while she was there. So welcome, Lori and Abrielle. Hi, Beth. Hi, thanks for having us on. Absolutely. I am super excited, as I just mentioned, to have you here. And I'm going to put uh, direct my first question to you, Abrielle, and that is, when and why did you decide that ROTC would be a good choice for you? Um, so for me, it was in high school. I played lots of sports in high school, volleyball, basketball, and I was really looking towards pursuing basketball in, in college. Um, so I actually went traveled to West Point and did a tour at West Point and thought about playing at West Point. Um, from that, I decided West Point wasn't really the route I wanted to go. It's a lot more serious of a school. You have less of a college experience. So I still wanted the college experience. But after touring West Point, I kind of got addicted to the service and joining the Army and that type of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So from there, I started doing my research. And I was actually late on the bandwagon, so I didn't really get interested in find out about ROTC until early in my senior year, um, at which point I submitted the application went to that process. But it really was, I wanted something with a team atmosphere and some, some way to push myself through college. Got it. And so that is interesting. You What you saw at West Point was, mm, this is maybe not the right experience for me because it's maybe too much discipline and too much focus on that. But there was something about the whole idea of the service that was interesting enough to you to kind of check out ROTC. Exactly. West Point was a little too regimented for me. I still wanted to have a normal college experience, still have friends not in the military, things like that, um, Mm -hmm. which are things you don't really get as much at West Point as you do with ROTC. Right, that makes sense. And, and so now, Lori, what did you? What's your reaction to this decision? Because I can tell you that in my household, um, my my son's dad is not particularly excited about his interest in ROTC. I am on the fence, um, and you know, my husband, who's his stepfather, is sees both the the pluses and minuses to it. So, what, as a parent, what was your reaction? Uh, definitely the pluses and minus side. Um, I tell people my wallet was happy, but my heart was sad. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it, we don't come from a military family. We didn't have any experience with other people serving other than, you know, a few friends who went in right after high school. So I, I didn't really know much about it. I had a lot to learn. Uh, from a financial standpoint, I thought it was going to be a great thing if she got it. I tried not to get my hopes up as she was applying. It was a long process for us, waiting from, say, October to March before we found out. So I was trying not to get my hopes up. I had no idea what her chances were of getting it. Um, but then when she did get notified, you know, I, again, financially, it was a big help for the family paying for college. She has a twin brother, so two in college at the same time was going to be a big burden. 
but I didn't really, you know, wasn't too excited about seeing my daughter on the front lines, you know, Afghanistan, mm-hmm. Iraq, all of that is in the news mm-hmm. every day, and we watch a lot of military films, and I'm like, I don't know that I'm happy with this. From a personal perspective, though, as I started to evaluate her high school experience and the things that she was good at and, you know, her personality, she's very structured, very disciplined, very focused, um, takes direction very well, and she loves to travel. So I'm like, well, it kind of sounds like it's a good fit for her. So it took a little while to come around, but I'm very happy that we did it. Absolutely. And and that makes sense. And I think those are sort of very natural reactions to this. And I think you just described the things that I think about um, when I think about the idea of my son, who's only in eighth grade, um, doing something like this uh, in the future. Gabrielle, you mentioned you came to this process pretty late because you didn't really start thinking about this until your senior year. Um, was there anything special that you did to prepare for um, applying to ROTC? And do you wish that you'd started earlier? And if so, when do you think it would have been great to start thinking about this? Um, the benefit really for ROTC is that you don't have to have any prior military knowledge. Like my mom just said, like we have no military members in the family. So I knew basically nothing about the military when I joined. Um, so they teach you everything you need to know in terms of that when you get there. Um, the biggest thing for me that I worked to prepare for was working out. Um, so physical fitness is a big part of what we do. Um, so there's tons of workouts online. So I just started searching up, like, military ROTC workouts, all that type of stuff. Um, I only started doing that as soon as I found out and decided to do ROTC, so just the summer before arriving. Um, but if you could get a head start on that, I would recommend that. Because although I did play sports in high school, ROTC workouts are a lot more different than sports workouts. So if you can get a jump start on that, that will definitely help you when you get there. Got it. And so in terms of the application process itself, what was different? Um, I mean, you may not know what was different because you only applied to college one time, but um, Lori, you do have the perspective, I think, of seeing a little bit more about the application process. And Abrielle, you have a twin brother, so you probably saw what he was doing. What was different about it um, for you? Um, So in terms of the application process, you still go through the normal college application process. So the same, pick whatever schools you'd like to go to, that type of thing, but then there's a whole other website for, I chose Army ROTC, so each branch has their own website to apply for the national scholarship, um, and that has their own requirements. So that's for letters of recommendations. You have to do a PT score, PT test, so physical fitness test, with like a gym teacher or something of that sort. Um, you also have to go and interview with a professor of military science at a college, um, and then from there, you have to pick your top 10 schools. So your and, 10 schools that you list on the application for ROTC should line up with the schools you already applied for. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it wouldn't work out. Um, right. And then you want to list there, a school that you didn't say, actually yes, you submit an application. To this school or that school. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you can choose. So you're only allowed to select 10 schools for um, a potential scholarship, correct? Then that's, Yes, and within yep. that, there's also limits on... You have to have a certain number of state schools versus private schools um, and things of that nature. Got it. And do you have to select 10 or could you say, I really only want to do ROTC at this one school, so if I get it, I'll go there, but otherwise I'm not interested? I believe you can only, you can put as many as you want. So it's up to 10, I think. I got it. I'm not positive on that fact, though. Anything else? I think. Yeah. Uh, Beth, I was just going to say, I think when we were going through the process, we thought our chances were better with the more schools we listed. So that, you know, if certain, we weren't really sure how they divvied up the scholarships Mm -hmm. by school. So Mm -hmm. we thought the the more options we had, the more chance we had of getting the scholarship. If you just list one school and that school has already maxed out their scholarship dollars for ROTC or, you know, only takes a certain number of cadets each year, we thought that would limit our chances. 
Got it. So what I'm hearing, too, is that maybe I need to go out and find us an expert on this um, who actually does this. And maybe they will know a little bit more about that. But the certainly the reasoning seems to make sense. And you did get an ROTC scholarship. So from that, we can infer there wasn't anything wrong with what you did because the end result was um, was what you were hoping for. Uh, one other thing that I was curious about is, um, you know, you had mentioned the importance of being physically fit and that there was no expectation that you would do anything related to the military um, in high school. And, and that doesn't surprise me either, just because there aren't necessarily that many opportunities to get involved in the military while you're in high school. There are junior, um, you know, cadet programs that I've seen, but the they don't seem as common, at least not in the Northeast where we all, um, Mm -hmm. I live and where you grew up, it's not as common. But what about things like leadership? Do you know if there were specific coursework that was important? Um, You know, uh, and you may not, but I'm just curious if if you got a sense for that while you were going through the process. Um, Yeah, so on the application, similar to the college app, they'll ask for all of your extracurriculars. Um, so one thing I found in common between me and my peers in ROTC were most of us played at least one sport, whether it be cross-country or basketball or something. Um, and, again, most of us had a leadership role, whether it was we were a captain of a team, we were student body president, we were involved in some way with our community and with our school and had leadership roles prior to getting to ROTC. So you really look for that you have that experience leading a group of people. Right, which makes sense because that's what you're training to do in ROTC, right, is lead yeah, a group exactly. of people. And you're and not just leading them on the playing field, but ultimately you're going to lead them potentially on the battlefield. And being a good leader couldn't be more important in that scenario. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so is one, one more thing around the application process. Um, your outcome was that you got several offers. Um, but, you know, what is that the same outcome for everyone that, you know, based on your conversations with the students that you know who are in that program or whatever else you found out since you went through it, um, what are the different options for outcomes? So there's the benefit of ROTC. There's a bunch of different ways to get into it. Um, so I went through the National Scholarship and they gave me the offer of a three-year scholarship to the University of San Francisco which is where I ended up, what I chose. Um, I know other people who got, you can get a four-year, a three-and-a-half, or a three-year. Um, and then on top of that, they can offer you one school or multiple schools, and you get to choose what school you want to go to. Um, the other benefit of ROTC is if you do not get a national scholarship or you are past the point of applying for a national scholarship, when you get to your campus, you can still join ROTC and go through the process, and lots of schools still have the money and the funds to give you a scholarship after you've joined and already are in school. So many kids in our program didn't have a national scholarship and mm-hmm. arrived and joined the program and now are on scholarship and school is paid for. So they were, they're on scholarship, but maybe not that first year was, uh, was not mm-hmm. funded, but the three after that were? Exactly, yes. Got it. Okay. Uh, All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and get to more of our questions. And Lori, one of the things that I'd be interested in from the putting the financial aid officer hat on is whether or not that's a great choice to go to a school with the plan of joining ROTC in the hopes that you might get a scholarship eventually. So keep that in mind and we'll come back to that right after the break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for 
when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. In fitness and health, we all deserve a second chance. Join host Michael Skog for the program, You Only Stronger. You always have the ability to start fresh, even if you slip up on your diet or fitness program. Even small steps taken throughout the day can help. Each show will conclude with weekly assignments that you can use and we'll want to hear your feedback. You Only Stronger airs live Mondays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. We are here with Lori Peltier and her daughter, Abrielle, who just graduated uh, from the University of San Francisco and uh, was on an ROTC scholarship. Uh, and we're going to get right back into the questions. Lori, before the break, I had asked about what if you don't get the national scholarship? Abrielle was telling us about some people in her program who arrived on campus, didn't have scholarships, but joined the program and ended up being funded for um, the rest of their college careers, but not for the first year. From a financial aid officer perspective or from the you know, college finance perspective, what do you think about that decision? Uh, I think it's a little risky. I think you, know, you shouldn't enroll in a school that you can't afford. However, you know, uh, if it's a school that might be you know, a safety school for you and you're getting academic scholarships and maybe some need-based aid, so it's not that much of a stretch, and trying out ROTC the first year and making a decision, you know, that, that it's for you, that this is the path you want to take. I have no idea what the statistics are of the number of students who, I, I call it walk-on, you know, walk-on to mm-hmm. ROTC freshman year without a scholarship and then get it later years. From what I've heard just from my daughter's experience, you know, it does happen. I just don't know how often and at how many schools. So I would say it's a little risky to take that path. Um, you know, maybe talking to the cadre in charge of ROTC on the college campus to get a better idea ahead of time, but I don't think that they would make any guarantees ahead of time either. Right. And you also, of course, have to rely on your student actually going and, you know, performing well in ROTC and being as committed to it to help college right. be paid for as as a parent you would want them to be if that's what you were banking on. Um, right. One thing that we really haven't talked about that I'm sure people are thinking about because it is the um, the big piece of ROTC is the level of commitment um, both during school, what, what are the things that you have to commit to, but also after you graduate when you now are in the Army or the Navy or um, the Air Force and are, you know, giving them your service in return for the four years of college that they paid for? Um, so in terms of commitment during, um, most programs do PT, three, so physical fitness, three mornings a week. Um, on top of that, the student will have a military science class. So it'll be either freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. Um, they're taught just the basics of rank structure, um, tactical movements, operations, all that type of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And then you also have a lab every week as well. So that's normally a longer period of time. So we would do ours on Friday afternoons, and every, at least a semester, you would have an overnight. So you'd do two or three nights um, overnight doing tactical lanes and training. Um, on it. top of that, um, you will also have, between your junior and senior year, you have to attend what they call advanced camp, 
in Fort Knox, Kentucky. Uh, so that's for 30 days. You travel to Fort Knox and conduct training, and they evaluate you, and that goes into your packet in terms of how you are assessed after you graduate, in terms of your job after you graduate. In terms and of the-, the commitment after you commission, mm-hmm. um, you owe normally approximately eight years. So the good thing about RTC is you can kind of choose what form you want to do it in. So when you, senior year, you put in a packet saying, I would like to be reserves or National Guard or active duty. So from there, if you choose to be reserves, um, you can do eight years reserves. Or you can do eight years National Guard. You can do eight years active or four years active, four years reserves. So it's kind of up to you to choose what kind of path or route you want to take. Got it. So you can either go and and be active and potentially be stationed in any of these parts of the world where we currently have military action going on, or you can be um, part of the the group that's here um, in the States, or you can be in the reserves where you might get sent, but you might not, right? Which option did you choose? Um, so I am going active. And Lori, how do you feel about that choice? <laughs> I remember distinctly when uh, she had to put in her packet, and, and I'm like, so you chose reserves, right? And she's like, no, why would I do reserves? I chose active. I'm like, of course you would. So I, I think, um, you know, for for Abby, she her her biggest concern all along has been, I don't want to move back into your basement. I want to have a job, a place to go after graduation. I don't want to do the looking for a job for six months. Um, I think she has no problem finding a job, but um, and she she wanted to do active rather than try to get a job and do reserves on the side. Right. Well, and you just spent all four years studying all this stuff and doing advanced camp, and if that's if those are things you enjoyed, that's stuff you just want to go and do all the time, right? So I I can mm-hmm. understand the the draw of active duty. Um. One question I have, and then we can get back to a little bit more about ROTC itself. Well, this is related to ROTC, but what level will you be when you enter the military? What level will you be um, graduating from ROTC versus what if you had just decided when you graduated from college? You know, I think I'd like to go into the Army. Um, what level? Is there a difference? Yeah, so when you graduate, uh, when you, so we call it commissioning. When you graduate from college and you finish ROTC, you commission as a second lieutenant. So you're actually on the officer side, um, mm-hmm. which is the benefit of doing ROTC. So the only other way to become an officer is either through ROTC or through officer candidate school um, if you are enlisted. So there's only two ways to become an officer, so uh, ROTC is one of the biggest. Um, if you were to just what they call enlist after college, you have to go to basic training, um, AIT, which is like personal training for your job, um, and then you would be on the enlisted side. So in that sense, you can think of it as like the officers are the ones kind of in charge of the enlisted. Mm-hmm. Right. The officers so, are in management, and the enlisted are, are the workers in many ways. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, okay. And, let, well, let's keep on... Um, with you, Abby, and, and when did you see signs that there was sort of a typical ROTC cadet? Um, I think we've mentioned some of the things that might make someone successful in that, but I was just curious if in getting to know all of your fellow cadets, if you saw some similarities aside from the playing team sport and being um, an elected leader in some way. Honestly, not really. It's I've met every possible person you can imagine through ROTC, just through all the opportunities they've given me. Um, So I've met everyone from, we have tons of nurses in our program who are not the best at, like, tactics, don't want to be out on the battlefield, but are amazing nurses, to people who are your typical, what you see in the movies, army guy. So we cross all spectrums of personalities and types, and honestly, the biggest thing is that if you do join RDC, just be willing to put in the work and want to be there and want to learn. Got it. So there's a role for lots of different personality types, um, yes. but you need to be committed to it, right, which makes mm-hmm. sense. 
Um, did you find any negative reactions on campus to the fact that you were in ROTC or positive? Um, yeah, so attending the University of San Francisco, I obviously have a different perspective than a lot of other schools. Um, so San Francisco is a very liberal city, as many people know. So we normally students are promoted wearing their uniforms off campus, promoted supporting ROTC. Um, we had to be more careful just because of the city we're in. Um, so it really depends what, go to sc- what school you go to, what area you're in. But I never received any, like, negative backlash on being an ROTC. And honestly, besides the days you're in uniform, uh, which is normally one day a week, no one knows you're an ROTC unless you tell them. So it's kind of up to you how you portray yourself and if you want the world to know you're an ROTC or not. So it's really, there's no real backlash or anything in terms of being on campus and being an ROTC. All right. Well, that's good to know. Lori, um, as a parent, what do you see as the benefits? What's really interesting for me is that you had the experience of having one son not in ROTC and a daughter in ROTC. And so you probably even have a better perspective than um, the typical ROTC parent who may just have the one student doing that program. But what did you see as the benefits of the downsides to Abby being in ROTC? Uh, the benefits, as I mentioned, financial is huge. I mean, not only is her tuition and fees paid for, University of San Francisco also covered her room and board, and she gets a stipend per month. Mm. So it was for three years. So first year, she was on financial aid and scholarships for academics, and then the last three years, she was basically making money. The book stipend, a monthly stipend, I, I never have to send her any money or anything. Nice. So, um, so <laughs> compared to my son, it's a whole different story. Right. Um, and um, so that allowed us to help support her financially for what she wanted to do in the summer. You know, she wanted to travel to China and learn the language. Sure, we'll pay for that. We didn't pay mm-hmm. for your school, so we can pay for that. So there are things that she's been able to do travel-wise and outside of school because we weren't paying for school. Um, so that that's a huge thing. The other thing, knowing that she was part of a team and had that support group, there's you know automatically first day on campus, you know there's all the other freshman cadets and the upper class cadets and the management. So it was again like being part of a team and knowing that she had support, um, you know, especially since she went from Massachusetts to California, it was you know a little bit of a distance there to to worry about whether she was going to have um, people to hang around with and, and support her. On the downside, um, I would say the acronyms. <laughs> Again, I, I need an Army for Dummies book because I don't understand any of it. Um, I need to break everything down and, and, you know, not coming from a military family, understand what she's talking about. Um, there is a little bit of unknown. The calendar is a little bit um, vague sometimes. She'll say, I think I have to go on these dates. I think I have to go here, go there. And sometimes there's late notice of where she's going and when she's going to be there. That's a little hard for planning for family trips and when she's going to be able to come home. So so that's a little bit of a downside is she has that commitment and no matter what, she's got to go, but they're not very forthcoming with the dates and times that she'll be there. Um, and, you know, knowing that she has a steady income in front of her, that she's got this, you know, active duty to go to at, at a pretty decent income plus the benefits, you know, the, the military benefits are quite extensive, so she won't have to worry about, you know, insurance and retirement plans and things like that. Right. So I'm hearing more good than bad um, in the actual experience, and I'm sure that that underlying concern um, as she heads into active duty is likely there, but it sounds like it's been a really good fit for you, Abby, and, and would you agree, and, and are there any particular opportunities that you have gotten as a result of being in ROTC? Um, there's actually a ton of things that ROTC like, offers for students. Um, so personally, I was able to go on what they call CULP. Um, it's Cultural Understanding Language Program. Um, so they send cadets across the world to different countries for a month. So I traveled to Burkina Faso in West Africa for a month um, and got to do humanitarian work, work with their military Um, So that was one of the biggest things, one of the best opportunities they offered me. Um, They have different programs for for anyone and everyone. So um, like I said, we have a lot of nurses at our school, so they offer a nursing training program where you go and you work over 100 hours in 
an army hospital doing training, shadowing a second lieutenant nurse. Um, I also got to do something they call CTLT, uh, which is where as a cadet you get to shadow a lieutenant doing a, a job that you would like to do in the future. So they send you to a post, some in the U.S., some outside the U.S., um, and you stay for a month with that lieutenant and shadow them for a month on their job. Um, you still have the opportunities from other Army schools as well, so airborne air assault, which is parachuting out of airplanes or repelling out of helicopters. So there's something for everyone. Um, there's tons of schools and trainings that are available. You just have to kind of look into them. Got it. And I just heard you mention at least two of those acronyms that, Lori, you were mentioning, so I could see how that would get a little tough after a while. Uh, Thank you both so much for taking the time to join us today. And, Abby, I wish you all the best and good luck in active duty, and I hope that it is um, exciting and challenging, and um, obviously that whatever you do, you're safe. So good luck to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right. Well, we're going to be back. And when we are back, we're going to be answering your questions. So don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Every day, we're surrounded by technical buzzwords and jargon that can go way over our heads. Now, there's a show that brings it all back down to earth. Tune in for today, Tomorrow's Technologies, with host Jose Negron. We'll not only explain the new technologies that are shaping our world, we'll give you the benefits and backstory of these technologies. Listen for T3 with Jose Negron, live every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. We are going to be answering your questions on this segment. We do it all the time. You may be wondering, hey, I have questions. Where do I send those in? Um, You can post them on Facebook uh, and let us know. These are questions you'd love to be answered on the podcast. But if you want, also, you could send it to our email address at gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. So Facebook or gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. All right. Uh, with me today, doing the Q&A, as she so frequently is, is my colleague, who also happens to be a former financial aid officer at Boston University and Tufts University, um, is Shannon Vasconcellos. Hi, Shannon. Hi, Beth. Uh, all right. I know we have a lot of questions. We always do. Why don't we jump right in, and maybe you have one for me? I sure do. And this one is actually from, I believe, a high school counselor, and this person asks, uh, I have a student interested in doing pre-med at a highly selective college, and she plans to apply as a pre-med or biology major. Currently debating taking AP Bio next year or taking Bio and Anatomy concurrently at the community college. 
Which is preferable? How is each option viewed? Lots of students are considering this route as our concurrent enrollment agreement just expanded. All right. So full disclosure, I gave Shannon this question. Um, This counselor, we do have counselors who listen to the show, but this counselor posted this question on a Facebook counseling site. And there was so much in here to kind of unpack Mm -hmm. that I thought it would be a really good one for the show. So let me start with the first part. The the student is interested in doing pre-med at a highly selective college and plans to apply as a pre-med or biology major. So the first thing I wanted to mention about this is that students wanting to go on to medical school and applying to highly selective colleges are a little bit a dime a dozen. It is incredibly popular for these students who are very bright to have the goal at this stage of their lives of going on to medical school. And there were days when I was reading applications for Penn where I would read, if I was reading 30 applications that day, I would read 30 applications of students who wanted to be doctors and were applying as biology or chemistry majors. And I just, you know, shoot me. It was not good. So basically... (laughs) What can happen with that student is that they, um, and those students are typically quite high achieving with really good test scores and really great grades, um, but they end up being particular, kind of non-interesting because they all have sort of the same, they've taken similar paths, they've done the similar activities, they have the same goals for when they get to college, and you're really trying to put together a more, uh, a more diverse class. You you probably, I suppose, potentially could fill a class with students who wanted to go on to medical school, but you never would because then everyone would be focused on taking science and there wouldn't be people for all of the other things that you teach on your campus. So one piece of advice that I would have for those students out there who are aspiring to, aspiring to medical school is to um, broaden their horizons a little bit. Think about all the different things that interest you about medicine. Look for ways to get involved that aren't just, you know, volunteering at a hospital or job shadowing a doctor, things like that. And possibly more importantly, look beyond. So at the most selective level, there generally is not a pre-med major per se. You major in what you major in and you satisfy the pre-med requirements as you go through college. Um, And more students than not are not majoring in science. You certainly do not have to be a biology major. You don't have to be a chemistry major. You could be an English major. You could be a history major. You could do any number of things. So if I would encourage you, if you sound like this student, to explore different avenues of science and medicine and, you know, different ways in which you could think about um, these pieces and how they might be valuable to you as a doctor. Maybe you want to be a doctor in the inner city um, in a trauma center, and maybe you want to major in Spanish because that's going to be a really important language depending on the city that you're in. There are many different paths to becoming a doctor. It's not just... I'm going to be a bio major and go to an Ivy. Okay, so that's to start. But let's also talk Mm -hmm. about the other big piece here, which is do you take EP bio? Do you take biology and anatomy at the local community college? Especially can be that can be especially appealing if your school has a a special program Um, in general. And we all know that there's always the caveat and there certainly can be exceptions. But in general, at the most selective level, you want to see students doing the most rigorous curriculum available at their high school. And that generally means doing the AP versus going off campus and taking a biology class at the local community college. Um often that AP class may be more difficult. And even if it's not, it's often viewed as the more difficult choice. The time to go off campus for alternate uh, classes is when you've already maxed your high school curriculum. And then you might explore those other options because at the most selective level, often they're not going to grant you credit. The reason that you often will do a concurrent enrollment uh, program would be because you're earning college credit as you earn your high school diploma. But um, I know that at Penn, our policy was you couldn't get credit for that class if you were getting credit for it for high school. So you couldn't earn twice the credits for it. Um, And there were other rules around You know, you had to be taking it in a college classroom with other college students. And some programs at high schools will be teaching a college class, but it's taught in the classroom with other students. And, it, it, you know, from the 
highly selective perspective, it's not really going to be seen the same way. So um, my advice for this student would definitely be, um, and for this counselor who's counseling the student, would be that she probably should stick with the AP bio, not with the goal of getting AP credit, because again, at the highly selective level, many, if not all of the schools are not really awarding credit for APs. They might award advanced placement. They might award credit for a five. But if you are pre-med, if your goal is to go to medical school, you're probably going to have to take this class as part of your yeah. pre-med requirements. And they may not consider a five on the AP as satisfying that biology requirement. Um, there are even other things in here that we could get into, but that would mean that <laughs> we would have no time to answer finance questions. Right. So um, I just really, I, I think there are a lot of things there to be thoughtful about. And I thought it would be a good way to kick off our Q&A. Um, but let's get to a question for you. And, um, okay. So this question comes from Christy, who uh, writes, after running all sorts of estimates, it is clear that our family will not qualify for any sort of financial aid. I hear of students obtaining full ride, and she has full ride in quotes, offers. I assume those are usually a mix of financial aid, grants, scholarships, and merit-based scholarships. What are the chances that a student who does not qualify for financial aid grants would receive most, if not all, of their college co- costs strictly based on merit? Good one. Well, short answer, short answer is slim chances, not good. Um, I've seen a few different numbers kind of addressing this question, but all of them are less than 1% of the college population is getting their college totally paid for. They're not paying anything uh, by the school. They're not paying anything on their own. So it's really extremely rare. Uh, to step back just a little bit, you know, you want to think about how schools use their scholarship funding, and they generally use scholarships to recruit the top students in their applicant pool. So depending on the school, you know, they might offer some level of scholarship to the top quarter of their class. Um, at some pricier private schools, it can even be the top half of their class get some type of scholarship. But those scholarships are largely going to be maybe $5,000 a year, maybe 10000 you know, something like that. To receive that, you know, mythical full-ride <laughs> scholarship, not totally mythical, it does exist, um, but that, that scholarship that covers absolutely everything, you really probably need to be among the top, you know, 1% of applicants at, at a given school. It's, it's very hard to pull off. You basically need to do two things. Number one, you've got to do very well in high school. You know, getting, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, with with few exceptions, probably straight A's, be in a very challenging curriculum, really be at the top of your class. So that's the the first thing you need to do, the first challenge. And then the second thing you need to do is apply to schools where you are going to be way overqualified, essentially. What are going to be the real safety schools on your list those are the schools that are really going to want to recruit you the most. Those are the ones that are going to offer you the biggest scholarships. Uh, so certainly uh, I run into a lot of people in my work that who do, number one, work with a lot of, you know, very high-achieving students, but then they often don't want to do number two. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they think they've done so well in high school that, you know, they, they feel that has earned them, you know, a spot at one of the most selective schools. And maybe it has, but it's also earned you the right to, to pay for that school, <laughs> which, is, which is fine if that's, that's your choice. Um, but if you're really looking for that full-ride scholarship, you've really got to do very well in school and then be willing to attend a less selective school where you're going to be one of the very top students. That's where they're going to want to recruit you the most. That's where they'll really show you significant money. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Um, so the next admissions question is from Olivia, and she asks, do you recommend having ACT scores sent for free before you know the scores, or just wait and see what the scores are first and pay to send them to the schools you want? Yeah, so this is a question we get a lot. I'm, I am a big fan of the second option, waiting, seeing what all of your scores are, and then paying to send them to the schools you plan to apply to. Um, the reason for that is why send something sight unseen? Maybe something happens that day that, you know, you you miss 
answer. You you kind of like miss yeah. a bubble and you um, end up getting a bunch incorrect, not because you didn't know what they were, but because you skipped a question and you didn't realize that you right. did. You know, the sort of horror stories that you hear that it doesn't really happen that often, but you know, you have an off day and you might think it went well, but maybe it didn't go as well. Why give up the right to see it first before you share it with right. the college? There are colleges that are asking to see all of your test scores. And in which case, then if you're going to be applying to some of those, University of California system is one that comes to mind, then maybe you would just send them there and, and make sure that they have them so you don't have to pay because you're going to have to send it to them anyway. But most schools don't have that policy. And um, for those schools, I prefer let's get everything look at it all, and then decide which scores you want to officially send to the college. The cost to send the scores is not, it's not free, so it's money, but it is tends to be not so um, burdensome that you couldn't sort of budget for and plan to send the scores once you've completed all the tests. And the thing is, if you took the ACT three times and you wanted to send all three sets of scores, um, you don't have to pay to send each set of scores separately. They will send all of them at once. So you're only going to pay the one time. Uh-huh. Um, and if you decided you took it three times and you ultimately only wanted to send two sets of scores, again, you send the two sets. It's one fee. Um, and same thing with the SAT. So my advice would just be uh, personally that I would wait, see them all, and then send them on. Um, all right. I've got another one for you, Shannon. And this comes from Renee. Renee says, my daughter is about to graduate from college. Uh, She has borrowed over $25,000 from federal loans and also has about $25,000 in private loans. When will she go into repayment and how does this happen? So she will probably be going into repayment six months after graduation. So if she's graduating in May, you can expect that first student loan bill to be due probably in November. Um, there is, she definitely, without a doubt, has a six-month grace period on her federal loans. That's sort of a guaranteed protection of the federal student loan program. So 100% six-month grace period on the federal loans. Private loan grace periods can vary by lender, so she'd want to check with her lender to be sure. Um, but I've most often seen the, the private loan lenders um, offer six months as well. They try and kind of mimic the federal loan program in order to stay competitive with the federal loan program. So more often than not, I see a six-month grace period on the private loans as well. But definitely a good idea to check in with her lenders to make absolutely sure that she's not um, you know, late on payments. All right. And we've got another admissions question. And this one says, I didn't get into my first choice summer program. So what can I then do this summer? Good question. Uh, this is highlights for me always the the uh, necessity of having plan A, B, C, D, sometimes even E. <laughs> um, right. my, first, my first suggestion would be, uh, that you need to put a number of different plans in motion. So I don't know what your summer plan top choice was, but um, you know, if there's anything else in that area that you wanted to focus on, anybody that you personally know or that your parents know or that a teacher knows that you could reach out to to see if there are any opportunities within that area of interest, Um, And while you're doing that, I would go out and look for a job. Uh, I think that summer jobs are underrated. I think it can be a great way for a student to um, pass those summer um, hours. And uh, nowadays, fewer and fewer students actually do work. And so it actually could be a little bit of a... um, a unique element of an application uh, and, you know, depending on where you're applying and, and, um, and what your goals are. The other thing I wanted to mention is that we actually did back in, it feels like it was yesterday, but it was back in January. Um, so starting in mid January and all the way through mid February, we did a whole series on summer programs. And so we talked about programs for students interested in writing. We talked about opportunities uh, in terms of internships. We talked about students interested in sports, um, in volunteering, in the arts. And um, there, in those segments, if you go back into the archives and listen to them, I think you'll find that a lot of them have ideas for 
not necessarily programs that you have to apply to, but uh, ideas and thoughts outside of that, things that you might be able to create on your own. So um, I would suggest going back and listening to that series and seeing if there are any ideas there. Um, But uh, do more, not less. And uh, and if all else fails, a job is a perfectly um, solid uh, way of spending your summer. Um, okay, we are actually almost at the end of our time, and we maybe have time for a very quick, like, and I mean, like, 20-second <laughs> answer um, yeah. here. And, of course, all of a sudden, I seem to have lost the list of questions. There it is. Okay, um, really quickly, can I waive the college's health insurance? My daughter is covered under my employer-sponsored plan. Yes, you can. So most colleges will, in fact, automatically bill you for their health insurance plan unless you specifically submit paperwork to opt out. Um, And I say paperwork, but it's actually probably an online waiver form that you can fill out on the college's website. So if you already have health insurance coverage under a parent's employer-sponsored plan, yes, you can waive the college's plan, and you probably want to do that. College plans tend to be very expensive for... um, you probably have better coverage under your employer-sponsored plan. So, yeah, you have to fill out a waiver on the college's website. If you haven't gotten any information from the college about doing that, um, you can check the college's website, call the student account's office. They should be able to point you in the right direction. Make sure you pay attention to deadlines for completing a waiver. They can come up as soon as July is the soonest I've seen. Um, So make sure you do submit the waiver form in time. But, yes, you can absolutely waive the college's plan if you've got your own health coverage. Awesome. Shannon, thank you so much. Uh, And thanks to all of my guests today. Next week, Ian is hosting. Uh, He's going to be talking about summer college visits. It's a really good time to be doing those. uh, And he's going to talk about planning those and making the most of this time. We're going to be looking at college refund policies. If something goes awry and you cannot enroll as planned, what are your um, options? And we're also going to talk about getting started on the common application. It's time. Juniors, I mentioned that. Um, If you have questions, don't forget, post them on Facebook. Let us know. You'd love to see them answered on the podcast. You can also reach us at gettingin.voiceamerica.gmail.com. We have these great archives, uh, a great blog, which is at blog.getintocollege.com. We are on Pinterest. We are on LinkedIn. um, But I would say if you do nothing else, uh, like us on Facebook. That's a really good place to interact with us. And don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.